Hello and welcome to the Informal Stories podcast, where we chat about the goings-on here at Informal Systems with our fellow worker members. We're your hosts, Sean and Yelena, and today we are joined by Ariane, who handles basically all things finances, financial strategy, and in my mind is basically like the resident den mother, uh, which I'd hope you don't mind me saying, Ariane. <laughs> no, not at all. How are you both doing today? Uh, actually, Yelena, you want to go first? Sure. Yeah, I'm doing great. We just had a long weekend uh, here in Ontario, uh, so had a little bit of a break. Um, and I'm excited to talk to Ariane, who um, I've gotten a chance to work closely with, and I don't think uh, maybe as closely as she has worked with others. So it'll be nice for you know to to kind of chat about her work and like you know how um sh- you know she's made informal systems the amazing organization that it is today. So, anyways, I'm looking forward to this chat and uh, doing well. Thank you, Ariane. How how are you doing? <laughs> um, I'm great. I yeah, long weekend, kind of uh, a nice change of pace. Um, I've had visitors at my house like for the last month. Uh, my my mom just left like two minutes ago, <laughs> um, and uh, so now I'm like, you know, can focus, visitor free. It's uh, a nice change. Where's your family in general, actually, or hand from? In Toronto, um, so everyone is pretty much is pretty much in Toronto. So I kind of wanted to just launch into first kind of your background how you got to this point, career trajectory, history, milestones, the whole shebang. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so I always say to people that I totally came into the blockchain and like crypto ecosystem 100% by accident. Um, so my background, uh, to go all the way back, I did my master's in Master's in finance. It was a very financial engineering, math-heavy degree. Um, I, you know, thought I was going to work on Wall Street, and um, really thought that that was going to be my trajectory. Um, I had that experience, and I really quickly realized that it was not for me. Um, I became, you know, while I thought the uh, the nature of the financial markets from an academic perspective was super interesting. I really became like disenfranchised with like the bully culture of the trading floor and the behavior associated with it. Um, so, you know, after that experience, I, I left and I never looked back and I've been working in tech ever since. Um, and as I said, I totally fell into the crypto ecosystem by accident. Um, when I, I think it was 2015. And when I met Ethan, I was working at the university lab at the University of Toronto. Um, and the lab was focused on basically commercializing AI research. Um, and I met Ethan, who was obviously co-founder of Cosmos at the time, through one of the advisors of this um, AI lab program. And he was like, you have to meet this guy. He wants nothing to do with AI, but he's really into blockchain. And you, you should, uh, you know, you should meet. I, I, uh, you know, that's where I met Ethan. He came in with like a hairband on and like, you know, it was, uh, I was like, who is this guy? Anyway. Um, uh, yeah, so, um, but he was like super passionate. And I also met Jay, um, Jay Kwan at that time as well. And so Ethan and I kind of like very loosely stayed in touch, like emailed back and forth in terms of like how things were going. Um, and then a couple of years, years later, Ethan and Jay were looking for someone to help on the finance side of 
this company called Tenderman Inc. or All in Bits. Um, and they were like, would you be interested? And I really didn't know anything about the company at the time. I didn't know anything about what they were building. But, you know, I went out to San Francisco and I met a bunch of the people and I spent the weekend uh, meeting everyone and um, kind of fell into it as like from then. And, you know, what really got me hooked was like, it wasn't really, it was so untraditional, the industry. And it was really like these crazy, passionate, idealistic people who were like so driven by something that was, you know, greater than themselves. Um, And that was like really interesting and unique and very awesome to, to see and be part of. And, you know, basically I've been working, that was my kind of first foray into the Cosmos ecosystem. And I've been working in various roles in the ecosystem ever since. So after that was the managing director of the Energy Foundation. And then, um, you know, from there we spun out uh, informal systems. And that has been like, what's really kept me in the ecosystem is like, I always say this to people, but I really believe that like, because everything is so new and the blockchain ecosystem at large is constantly you know, fitting square pegs into round holes in many ways. Like nothing has really been defined. There's no exact playbook. Like we're really constantly writing our own playbooks. And I think that in that sense, it really means that you can like invent the career that you want to have and have the career path that you kind of foresee for yourself because there's so much opportunity and there's so much, you know, malleability in terms of like what is accepted and what is new and what is needed and all of these kind of features. Um, And so that's been my kind of foray into the ecosystem and um, how I ended up here. It's really, really interesting that you sort of like really kind of fell, um, maybe love is like too strong of a word, but you really were like attracted to the space, like when you went to San Francisco and like you saw it kind of met the people in person and like were part of that kind of community um, and you kind of saw firsthand. Do you think like that, those like, um, values of, of like passion, idealism, like, do you still see them kind of continuing to this day? Cause, cause that was like, you know, a few years ago. And obviously since then, like the, the ecosystem has greatly, um, evolved. So how does that look like today? It's interesting. Like to think back, honestly, when I started working at Tenderment, it was like so immature. And it's really crazy to see how much the ecosystem has matured. And when I say like so immature, I mean like a group of 20 people where no one had an employment contract and they were just like sitting around an office and like working with each other because they liked it. Like it's crazy to think that it's, you know, now there's so many different companies and entities. And of course, like things can always be more mature and, 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 and improve and whatnot. But, um, you know, it's, I think that the like that passion and idealism is totally still there and I see it all the time. Um, but it's it's kind of like molding and maturing, you know, a little bit. It's not just um, a, a bunch of, of people like working on something because they think it's cool and they really like it and they, they are it's like it's becoming a bit more I would say like mature and sustainable in many ways, because I think that that kind of like work pattern isn't necessarily like the most long-term sustainable way to be working forever. So I think like we're trying to create, by creating structure, you also create sustainability for everyone. Yeah, that's, uh, it's really interesting because, you know, you mentioned like in the beginning, you know, there was like such a lack of process, like structure and like obviously now we're we're maturing. Do you think like personally, um, 
you know, running the operations, building up these organizations that there's like a point at which like too much process is like uh, a hindrance to like moving quickly. Like what's your sort of personal philosophy on like structure and like process and like, you know, giving kind of, um, you know, in our case, worker members, you know, the freedom to Mm -hmm. innovate. Like totally. Um, Of course, there's always a, a, there's always going to be a threshold where like, you know, too much process is going to like strangle you. Um, do I think we're even close to there yet? Like, no. Um, I think that, you know, creating what I, what I like process is a weird and can be somewhat of like a, you know, a taboo word. Um, but what I think like things that we do in terms of like making a better work environment for people involves like not having to think through a decision, the same decision over and over and over again. That's what a process does for you. It like, you know, it, it streamlines something. So you just think about it once and you never have to think about it again. And your brain is more like clear and open to think about more important things than like remembering what the hiring process is, so to speak, you know? So, um, that's what I think it does for you. And then like it essentially lifts the, um, it lifts everyone out of the low level. It lifts everyone out of that repetition and that like mental overhead so that you have more um, freedom and flexibility. And that's what I think like anything when like you can call it processes or, or whatnot, but like anything that's explicit within an organization, um, explicit as in like everyone knows and understands that this is to be true, removes this like constant need to like ruminate on on what's going on and then you can also like be more productive in the end because you've been you know lifted out of the mundane i feel like um maybe like an an analogy to like part of what you said is like if you you know like when you're driving a car if you're like constantly thinking about like how you drive a car the rules of the road you know it's almost like you're gonna make a like mistake or it's not you know it's gonna be stressful and overwhelming but if you just kind of know in the back of your head okay like this is how you drive a car like in our in our case okay this is like what the hiring process is then like it's not too much overhead it's kind of like um like you know you can kind of work like yeah and you're thinking about then you're not thinking about like oh yeah what do I have to do next you're thinking about like is this person a good candidate and a good fit so you've changed like the quantum of what your concern is to something more like high level so I think like you know at the end of the day that's all like a company maturity hopefully like and when we use the word process that's hopefully all it is is really just like um helping people like lift out of um you know, lift them up, put the mundane into autopilot and be able to think at higher levels. So you mentioned, you know, there's a lot of like this freedom and liberty right now, as far as kind of like designing your own career Mm -hmm. um, and being able to use the word malleable, which I really liked. But I guess I'd be curious if you have a bit of a vision for kind of like what you, where you want to take that malleability or what you want the final kind of shape of I guess, you know, it could be both your career or your day-to-day as well as maybe, you know, what does that look like at a company level as well that you're kind of holding in your head? Yeah. Um, I would say, like, personally, it's an interesting question because I'm not one of those people where I'm like, I have this, like, career vision that I have to, like, achieve over the next five years. I kind of, like, like a much more flow state of like these are the things that I enjoy doing at this moment in time and we'll see where that like you know takes takes me um 
what I mean, like when I say that in the context of like the company or other people um, is what we're seeing in this industry is like new careers that never existed two years ago now exist as like a job. Um, you know, community management for, you know, Discord was not a job like a couple of years ago. And now it's like a real full-time job or like, you know, Yelena and I have talked about this before, but like, you know, DAO governance is kind of like a, it's like almost like a lobbying job that doesn't exist. And it's a thing that has to exist to get engagement of people to participate in governance, which is like, what are the promises that, you know, the technology can provide. But at the end of the day, it's like, you still need that participation. That's a human level activity, not a technological activity. Um, and there's almost like a job to incentivize or to, you know, encourage people to, to, to participate. Um, so I guess I just, I like see it as what's happening and why I think there is like a lot of flexibility and, and malleability in terms of like where you want your career to go is like, we don't know what all of the careers this industry is going to create in the next 10 years are. Like we've seen in the last two, like a plethora of kind of like new directions and new careers. Like, um, and so I think there'll be just like many, many more, which I think is really cool. So then if people feel like, you know, this is something I enjoy. This is something that brings me value. This is something that I can provide value to another person or a company or anything in that capacity. Then you're like, that's pretty, pretty crazy. Or like, I could make this career for myself. Like, that's a thing that I could do um, because a need exists, but it hasn't been defined as like, you know, a traditional, like I'm an accountant or I'm a social media manager. Or I'm a, like, all those things are, are necessary, but um, I think there's a lot more opportunity for net new, you know, just in the way that the industry has created, I would say like net new business models, like staking as a service was not a business model three years ago. Um, it's creating new careers at the same time. Um, and then one other question I have based off of what you said earlier, you said you didn't like the kind of bully culture mm -hmm. of, you know, finance. And then, so that's why you kind of moved into the into working in technology but now having moved into the blockchain space you know i think it is probably pretty common for a lot of finance folks to kind of get into this space as well right and so ultimately you know isn't that bully culture just kind of gonna resurface that's an interesting question um and i don't know how to predict that i think that there's like when you're talking about traditional industries there's like whether it's, you know, finance or law or anything like that. Um, sorry. Uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of deep seated historical context that can't be broken. Um, you know, just like in finance, like working on a trading floor, there's a very much like do your time because I did my time mentality. Um, and I think a lot of people experience that mentality in, in other traditional industries as well. Um, and this is just my experience. I don't think everyone experiences this um, by any means. Uh, I'm just speaking of my own um, my own experiences. But, you know, this, like, do your time because I did my time and, like, you have to suffer because I suffered is a very, like, deep-seated historical precedent that is set in, in that industry. So I think, like, if you're lift, it, it's, like, just because the people some of the people maybe move over um, to, to a new industry. I don't think you bring all of the historical baggage along with it, or at least I would hope not. 
it kind of uh, like makes me think that like certain industries sort of impose certain like cultural norms on people and like as soon as kind of you shift like um shift gears into like a different sort of culture then like people actually do change their behaviors as well like i find so like to your point in finance you know it's like maybe this like i've done my time so like we're gonna be aggressive we're gonna work you to the bone but then that same person that maybe even perpetuated those norms to some degree could like join i don't know crypto or like some other tech industry whatever where that's not as much of the you know zeitgeist let's say then they are now like they even like Kind of act different i think i don't know I've, I've noticed that like how people are actually i mean malleable is coming up as a word again but people are like quite malleable in like in um different contexts and i think uh, it's really about like the norms in which um the norms that are being perpetuated within a certain context i think that make all the difference so but i feel like with again i think a lot of finance folks probably flock to crypto just you know, because of how much money they're seeing other people make, right? And I think to your point, Yelena, like, yeah, people change based on context. And I think the culture that they're kind of immersed in, but, you know, it's probably, I'm sure there are probably some crypto and blockchain companies that were just founded by a bunch of finance bros. And so, you know, in that case, I assume, I imagine that culture is just going to persist at least within that particular context totally i i mean like absolutely i think like everyone has their own intention right like if there's tons of companies that you can point to that were like founded um with the goal of just making uh, in crypto like with the goal of making as much money as possible and that's that's fine that's their prerogative um that's always going to be the case no matter what industry you know you even in any regular SaaS business, like there's a lot of companies that are founded to like pump their valuations as fast as possible and exit as fast as possible. You know, it's like, I think it's all about like within informal, for example, like if there's a focus on like intention and intent and sustainability and, and all of these things, which maybe isn't universal across the industry. I can't like speak to everyone's own experience in, ter in, the, in the blockchain industry because I don't think it's that. But I think we've been fortunate like in you know i would say like in the cosmos ecosystem in general like a lot of people have these um shared values of um of of like wanting to do good and not just make as much money as fast as possible that kind of um so another thing that you know um we were, we were thinking of chatting and we sean and i chatted about this um on our first sort of podcast recording but the cooperative model um is something that's obviously very unique to informal um you know, even as a cooperative in the crypto ecosystem, I'm not really familiar with many other cooperatives in our in our ecosystem. And so like, we're kind of, I mean, to, if I'm not mistaken, like one of the only few, let's say, um, actually trying to, you know, um, innovate with this cooperative model. So like as COO, uh, obviously out of informal, as that is a cooperative, um, do you want to like tell us a little bit about your kind of vision for informal as a cooperative or maybe like cooperatives in general um you know th there's been write some writing um out there on like cooperatives versus like DAOs, and obviously DAOs are a big topic right now um so yeah how do you look at cooperatives as maybe like facilitating potentially some of these norms that we're talking about um and uh maybe like a little bit about the informal cooperative specifically yeah i think it's um you know the cooperative well, within informal, it's like really the intention is to like change the power dynamics of this traditional 
you know, shareholder based capitalist structure, which, you know, is not it's not bad. It's just not the context in which we want to build. Right. Um, that's why I think like there's space for everything, all types of company structures in all types of circumstances. But um, if we want to create something sustainable and we want to create something long term, I think that there's a lot of like this is the really important structure that creates that kind of like shared ownership. Um, and I think like, you know, one of the challenges we see in blockchain, it's like if it's this promise of decentralization, oftentimes that doesn't happen. Um, you know, the power structures are actually quite um, concentrated because of like, you know, maybe early founders got tons of the tokens or there's like whales who are like friends of friends who got in really early to whatever. So I think like, what it actually means in the context of this like blockchain ecosystem is like it's it's really like walking the walk and talking the talk at the same time. Like if you are building a sustainable decentralized organization or building like tools that support a future of decentralization, like you should be, you know, you should be dog fooding that. You should be believing that and breathing that. And like it's important. Um, and so to have that um to have that shared ownership structure. Um, and, you know, so I, I kind of see it as like the precursor to, while DAOs are a hot topic, it's like, we don't have to call everything a DAO. It's just like, you know, people making decentralized decisions is like kind of like a DAO, you know? Um, people not making decisions based off of like traditional power structures. Um, and, you know, I think like in many ways, this kind of practice of, um, well, actually, Yellen and I wrote a blog post that's published on NASDAQ about uh, co-ops as the grandparents of DAOs um, and how it's kind of like, in many ways, I see like cooperatives as kind of like this precursor to the tech layer. Um, you know, like one of the challenges that I, that it's just anecdotal, but I think like one of the challenges with DAOs is currently is like they're placing technology on something that wasn't structured without the technology well in the first place. So I think it's like, you know, it can be a tech first solution, which can have its shortcomings. But I believe that like, you know, it's almost like the cooperative instills the principles and instills the practices of running kind of decentralized organizations before adding the technology layer on top of it, um, which I think is pretty cool. And that leads like to a lot of potential promising applications of kind of like putting a tech layer on top of cooperative model potentially um but not until you can get the cooperative model like working without any tech solutions good old, old corporate documents and so on so you know i think one thing we think about as far as you know informal being a cooperative is kind of like how do we spread this gospel so to speak right like we we, we think about this in the back of our minds about you know how can we make this model you know catch on a little bit more how do we make it easier to kind of spread how do we if we could like put out like resources for others to learn from and how to kind of get their own cooperative off the ground right but at the end of the day cooperatives have a really high barrier to entry right like you know someone has to front a bunch of money if it's not you know the workers who want to kind of start it then it's someone else who's footing the bill and that kind of, that basically happened with with informal here the latter right like the ICF essentially footed the bill as far as my understanding is concerned. Right. And so like, it's, it, it reminds me kind of, of like, you know, 
if you're someone who is really cares about, you know, going green or reducing your carbon footprint, you have to pay more for, you know, you know, stuff with less, less, less packaging, or you have to pay for composting if you live in a city or what have you. Right. And it's kind of similar in that sense as well. Like, yes, we know cooperatives are more sustainable, but there's a non-trivial upfront cost to doing it. And so that's kind of kind of like this huge question mark in my mind as far as like, well, that's kind of like the first hurdle that needs to be kind of jumped as far as if we actually want to make cooperatives more sustainable. And I don't know if either of you have thoughts on kind of how to overcome that. Yeah, it's actually, it's a really important point because I totally agree. It's almost like you have, um, you're granted the luxury and privilege of becoming a cooperative if you have the money to do so, which as you pointed out is, is very similar to, you know, the same concept of like going green or, you know, eating healthy or all of these things. It's like often there's a barrier of financial entrance to doing so. And it's like, if you're granted the privilege and affordance to be able to like go green or like buy organic fruits and vegetables or whatever, then you can do it and you can, you know, hold your, put your hat on and be like, I'm the greatest of all. But like, actually you had a lot of privilege that like allowed you to do that. Um, so like, you know, I think um, in the context of like spreading this model, what has been interesting, um, it, it's challenging, but also interesting. Um, you know, co-ops are not typically something that like, it's easy to raise venture funding from, um, you know, mm -hmm. because venture capitalists like to have, control over things and the co-op doesn't allow that however you know i have talked to tons of different projects about and when i say projects i mean like in the blockchain ecosystem who are interested in our model and replicating it and like the similarities are that like a lot of these projects have the affordance of having funds to do so you know they they have the funds to build their their new company which is actually good and bad, right? So like in this, in the ecosystem, because people are able to, you know, they have funds from whether it's foundations or they did a fundraiser themselves or whatnot. Um, it is a little bit of a different um, accountability structure than to a VC where you have to like, you know, prove your model, give them control, all of these things. Like within the, within the blockchain ecosystem, it's been a little bit you're almost afforded a little bit more flexibility by the nature of how people are funded, which in turn gives more flexibility to how you, you know, set up a corporate structure. Um, so, you know, there actually has been quite a bit of interest in how we, we set up our entity um, and how we can like share that uh, with other, I, I've shared it with a number of other, you know, companies um, to be able to, you know, think about what makes sense from their perspective. But I don't know, Yelena, if you have any other, uh, if you have any other thoughts um, on that topic. Yeah, the one thing like that kind of kept coming up in my mind is I feel like more traditional workers cooperatives, like it's a very clear sort of like value add by the members, like they're usually labor oriented, like, um, uh, I mean, they started more in like working class kind of context, but I mean, you have engineering cooperatives, even like a uh, different energy um uh, kind of cooperatives where like the, the workers will um, be working in the energy sector, so to speak. So it's like very like clear kind of value by the members. Um, I mean, a, a famous, um, yeah. So I, it's interesting, like in tech, um, 
like speaking about like the barrier to entry from like a financial perspective, it's like, yeah, you need that pre-existing kind of investment capital. So like the members can sort of like innovate, like for lack of a better term and sort of like be like, you know, kind of, um, you know, as knowledge workers, let's say, you know, like we're not working with our hands. Like we're not like kind of producing like, like X amount of goods over a certain period of time, you, you know, you know, so it's, so it's, it's, it is, a, it is a little bit more tricky from that perspective. So, I mean, we are fortunate and maybe that is why we don't have more examples of cooperatives in the tech space or like even in the crypto space, because we do have this fortunate sort of relationship, um, the Interchain Foundation and the Cosmos ecosystem. But I do think like as funding like becomes something that is a less of a barrier itself, like where you don't necessarily have to raise from venture capitalists or you don't have to raise from accredited investors, hopefully like the funding part of this equation will be figured out so that other teams have the flexibility and like privilege of like becoming a cooperative should they wish. Um, I also think that there's opportunity, right? Like I think that there's opportunity to figure out how to almost incentivize investors to participate in these in these structures um which almost changes the nature of like the investment model a little bit but i don't think it's like out of the question for example like within informal we originally um conceived of we actually have a share class we've never issued them called deference shares which could be issued to um could be issued to investors and they don't come with any voting rights but they come with economic rights um and so, you know, I, there, it wouldn't be for every investor, but there's definitely opportunities to think about like how to structure your cooperatives and governance and share classes so that it could be attractive to that, to, you know, outside funding sources, outside sources of the capital, um, at, which in turn would expand the opportunity space for people um, who, you know, were looking for funding opportunities um, to grow their business and stuff like that. That's interesting i think the first thing that it makes me think of as far as these deference shares it's like some investor wants to come in and it's it's like a much more kind of like slow burn investment right like maybe like something similar to i don't know bonds for example that are like really slow but safe mm -hmm. and they see like oh you know this cooperative has you know really good culture and 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 they're very like sustainable i should you know maybe put some money in you know, because they'll probably be around in like 50 years, for example, and I'll still be getting a small return. Exactly. I don't know. Or like, you can like, like something like that is kind of what I'm thinking of. Exactly. Or you could like think about we haven't done any of these things, obviously, within informal, but like you can also consider things like, you know, issuing more of like a steady dividend to those shares, mm -hmm. stuff like this. So it's like a, a cash generating um, share class, not a, you know, um, not a share class that exits at 100x multiple which mm -hmm. limits your pool of who you're interested who is like your interested investing party probably not going to be like a vc or something but that doesn't mean that it's like you know you take it out of the realm of every um you know every investor or every capital allocator it, I've, i was actually thinking about like kind of bonds also like within the context of um the cosmos hub itself because I almost sort of like look at like the staking rewards like a delegator sort of gets in cause like in Cosmos. I mean, Cosmos itself, I, I like I, the hub specifically, but you, this can go for other chains within the ecosystem. Um, does to me feel like um, like a um, jurisdiction almost like it's like a locality. It's you know it's obviously not a government because 
like it's not in incorporated anywhere physically. It's like in the metaverse, so to speak. But you do have like <laughs> representatives and there's delegated voting and there's different governance for how proposals get passed. And there's this whole structure that is like still being worked out. I mean, there's no real constitution, let's say, maybe some would argue with that, but <laughs> there is other types of governance processes. And then, yeah, I mean, kind of like as an investor in this ecosystem, let's say like a delegator could, could kind of be conceived of as like somewhat of like an investor for like lack of a better term. You were also rewarded with like pretty, um, you know, deterministic type um, like returns from your delegation through staking rewards. So I don't know. I, I, I've actually been thinking about like kind of bonds uh, as like a, yeah, in the context of the hub itself. I don't know how that would translate to like an organization, like informal, let's say, but I do like this idea of like more of like a slow burn sort of steady um, kind of uh, return on your investment. I think it, it translates into the notion of like different financial vehicles and different means of, um, of you know, of making money and making and keeping like a sustainable organization afloat right like all of these things tie into informal maybe you know because we for example hold crypto on our balance sheet we stake all of this crypto it's earning us rewards those rewards go into making the sustainability of the of the organization because we have a longer as a result we have a longer steady you know runway of cash to employ people um and so it actually all it's like it's it's incredibly tied together or um as uh, as part of like the cooperative you know i think it's um it's all one and this is like what what you know what i was mentioning earlier when we were talking is like the notion of um many things didn't exist a few years ago the notion of like state live you know a lot of people i know people are like living off staking rewards like that wasn't in existence three years ago you know and now you know we take uh we we manage our you know, crypto balance sheet and our staking rewards and all the things. Um. Yeah. And, and like, to your point, like, I think maybe one of the, like the misconceptions is like, oh, like, you know, everyone's just in it for the money. They, they're all just in it to like, like, like get in, get out type of thing. But actually like what we're seeing over like many years play out is people sticking around uh, even after like, to your point, um, being able to live off their staking rewards, right? Like there is like the sense of like, giving back to the community, maybe, again, it's through like improving governance, maybe it's through, I don't know, running a validator, maybe it's through some R&D effort, contributing to some code, maybe it's through like, you know, community development, you know, the, the list goes on and on and on. So it kind of just goes to show you that, like, if there is a healthy sort of um, kind of ecosystem with like the right um, kind of ways to get involved that like, um, kind of makes people feel like that can include people relatively easily or quickly, let's say, where the barrier to entry is like low enough, then people will benefit, but then also stick around because they'll, there's sort of like this rep reciprocity, I think, that people feel. And I, that's actually also what it's like to be a worker member, exactly kind of connecting it back to informal. Um, you know, people are taking time out of their very busy day to day jobs to be part of something like the cooperative council um you know and that's like kind of cool um you know i think that's like unique but again i don't want to make those claims when i haven't necessarily worked at other all the other cooperatives that exist in the world but i think it's unique like i think that's a fair statement 
one question I have is, you know, our CEO, Ethan, has a lot of kind of far off kind of uh, goals and dreams. I was actually kind of curious, Ariane, like, do you, do you share any of those or are those kind of just in Ethan's wheelhouse? No, I definitely like, I guess we're very, Ethan and I are very different in many ways. Like, I think I, I am more focused on between like how to get from today to those far off visions. And it doesn't mean that, you know, I, I don't, it means like, I totally believe in all of them. I have like, I personally have, you know, some overlapping and some not overlapping views on like what the future of corporate organizations will become. You know, I actually, I think that there's a lot of huge opportunities for like what corp, like, I don't, you know, we're talking about DAOs a lot, but like what our corporation and how we work with other, um, how we work with other companies and all of these things, like I've, I've like my own and overlapping views about how this will all shape out. Um, but I think like, Ethan and I are super different. Like his, his strengths are, you know, he is a visionary. He has these like visions of the long-term future that like maybe no one else sees. And I feel like, you know, my role within the company as well is to help usher us from today into those, like, how do you operationalize something that far off, something that uh, um, like, you know, that future futuristic or that, um, you know, um, whatever the word is. But um, I, I think like that is kind of my goal within the company is like taking us from today to incrementally getting there. Um, and that's why I think like we have a good, um, you know, partnership and working relationship because like that's a very good balance. And I think it's a very important balance um, in any organization. So it's like, how do you operationalize from today to a vision? That makes sense. Um, so we, want to try to wrap up with a few more lighthearted questions. Um, we're going to stick with uh, the one we went with last time because I, I like it and I haven't thought of a different one yet. So uh, here goes. But uh, what kind, what fictional universe would you most like to visit, Ariane? Oh, my goodness. Like, does it have to be? What, what does that mean? Like, can I make up the whole universe or, or what? <laughs> I feel like. That's actually a funny question. I feel like there should be like a point of reference. So like, yeah, exactly. Like, like give me a like point the, of reference. So like a book or like a movie or um, you know, kind of. I mean, it could even be honestly a historical time period time because, I mean, we haven't lived and lived inhabited it. So for all intents and purposes, it's <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, if you have one in your head though, that God, you know, I'm like, you I, dream could, about. I could come up with a whole fictional world. I'm like, who, but I won't. I'm like, who would love to like go live in Harry Potter land or something? It's said. Perfect. <laughs> I know Harry Potter. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Is that is that your pick? Yeah, yeah. sure. That'll be my pick. That'll be my pick. My basic, basic pick. <laughs> I uh, I did a really es I I did a really esoteric one. Uh, <laughs> Let's tell me on. about it. So it's, yeah, mine was Herman Hesse's um, novel. Uh, Which one? The Glass Bead, the Glass Bead Game. Oh, okay. You've read it, right? Yeah. Or you, yeah, yeah. So I love like Herman that. Yeah, yeah, you, you, yeah, I thought you were right. So that is that world, um, like, you know, kind of like this monastic, like academic, like, I don't know, just like very simple privilege, but like also isolated. <laughs> so that's where I was at. <laughs> 
Damien is one of my favorite books. Damien? Yeah. By Herman. I haven't read it yet. Uh, Is it also sort of like a... It's very very short. Um, Anyway, Emil. Do I need to look into this author? I I think you'd like him, yes. Damien. Perfect. Well, okay. um, <laughs> sorry, I, I had one more, which is I, I actually thought it would be kind of interesting to play podcast tag, which Ooh. basically means Ariane. Uh, I get to tag who we talk to next. Yeah, you you recommend someone just, you know, name someone who you would like us to to try to get up for the next episode. No promises, because if they don't want to do it. We obviously can't force them. But let's think. This is fun. Like with an informal. Yeah. Uh, Let's see here. I'm like thinking. What about Suarez? Okay. Uh, yeah, he's 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 been on the top of my list as well. Okay. What about him? I was gonna okay. say Suarez or Jahan or, um. Yeah. Let's let's see. Maybe. Okay, we'll consider Suarez tagged. Okay. I will. He's tagged. I will reach out to him. <laughs> See if we can get him on here. Sweet. Uh, we'll do our best, but again, no promises. But uh, yeah, cool. All right. Uh, thanks, Ariane. This was super interesting. Um, unfortunately, there's like a tons of topics that I would still wish we could have talked about, but not enough time in the world, unfortunately. Yeah, this um, was really fun. Yeah, thank you for taking the time. Uh, and yeah, sharing your insight and like um, expertise. I feel like a lot of people will find it interesting so yeah thank you wonderful (laughs) thanks hope you guys have a great day it was very fun